From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up for September 1st. Sheesh, how did we get here, Ryan? Uh, 2020. Um, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schelling. And uh, we are talking golf with our friend from Golf News Net, Ryan Ballinger. Ryan, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Jeremy. Well, that was something on Sunday, huh? Um, <laughs> that was like a 43 uh, feet 3-inch putt and then topped by a 66 foot 5-inch putt. Um, and that was some of the most remarkable bizarre what the heck is going on here um, uh, end of a tournament I've seen in a long time and I think it speaks to A, all the work that that, that Dustin and his brother have done uh, fixing their putting and B, John Rahm's flair for the dramatic when he's got his emotions in check. I mean, maybe I've been uh, desensitized to watching golf all these years. Uh, and it being a job instead of a, a, always being a, a pleasure. But Sunday was probably the, the first time in a long time that I audibly reacted to anything on TV in golf that wasn't uh, Tiger Woods winning the Masters. Um, and I think that because it was unexpected. I mean, Dustin Johnson, you don't think Dustin Johnson as a, a great putter, although he has as you mentioned, significantly improved in the recent weeks. Um, but when when he made a 43-footer to force extra holes, I mean, that, that putt to me was more impressive than Rom because, I mean, and don't get me wrong, Rom's going is amazing. But Rom was trying to get his to like five feet or six feet. He yeah. would have been very happy with that and would have been happy to go uh, to another playoff hole given where he was after his second shot. But for Dustin Johnson, he had no choice. Like, he either goes in or the tournament's over. And so for him to make that that double bender down a hill and just, I mean, right in the heart, like it wasn't even a question uh, with about five feet to go whether it was going to go in or not, that, I mean, that, I think that's a really cool contrast between last week and this past weekend where you had the same guy won a tournament on 30 under, and then one fighting to break par, you know, one of it, less than a handful of guys to, to beat par for the week. And didn't matter what the golf course setup was, he responded and found himself you know, right, right on top of the leaderboard, then ultimately losing to um, one of the best putts of you're ever going to see go in the hole to win a golf tournament. Um, uh, a couple things there. I'm, I'm looking up uh, DJ's strokes game putting. Um, in his career, and he's been in that 30 to 40th to 80th range most years, gaining marginally on the greens. Um, so much talk has happened about his improved wedge play, but not a lot talks about the work he and Austin have done since the restart on his putting. But second fold, that was that to me was the best finish of the restart besides Morikawa JT. Was that when you were on vacation and you didn't see that live on on the live stream? Because I definitely screamed when JT hold his fifty footer. Yeah, I did see that one, and I, I guess I, I I didn't react. I mean, maybe it was just state of mind. I didn't react the same way to that. Uh, probably just because it 
wasn't a playoff event. It was just kind of a concocted event. Right. Um, maybe if it were the Memorial, I would have reacted the same way. I don't know. But it just seemed like it was a bigger deal because world number one and two were, were going at it in the playoffs uh, while trying to set up a playoff in DJ's case at 118. But um, maybe it was just the situation. But, I mean, we've had some really cool finishes. We really have. So far in the restart. And, and not just for the PGA Tour. We talk about the European Tour. We talk about... Uh, the LPGA with Sophia Popoff. I mean, there, there have been some really good finishes. Curtis Luck winning at uh, OSU a couple weeks ago. Some really good, interesting finishes to a lot of tournaments across tours. I mean, golf has been really good to us uh, in the restart. And don't forget as well that it was also Stacey Lewis's first win since becoming a mom. And while that wasn't super close down the stretch, it was tight, but it, but it wasn't dramatic. Still, for her to get over that hump is a big step for Stacey Lewis as she marches back to her top form and, and is so likable. But yeah, I mean, just looking at what we've gotten since the restart, we've gotten Daniel Berger beating Morikawa in that playoff when that whole location on 17 killed everybody's chances. Webb Simpson ball striking the heck out of people in Harbortown. DJ just obliterating the field with a 61 at um, Hartford. Bryson bombing it um, and coming on the scene big time in Detroit. That whole Morikawa JT finish. What um, John Rahm did at Memorial, and we'll get to John Rahm in the U.S. Open here in a second. And then Michael Thompson and a and a not the most dramatic finish, but a good win for somebody who has kind of fallen off the scene. JT in Memphis, Richie Wierenski holding off a mic'd up Troy Merritt, and then obviously we all know what Morikawa did um, in the playoff, uh, sorry, at the PGA down the stretch, and then obviously uh, Jim Herman winning at Wyndham and coming from utterly nowhere to get it done. So yeah, it has been... Um, a really hot stretch of golf for uh, the men's game and also for the women's game. What I find interesting about John Rahm, and this was pointed out by Jason Sobel, we've now had, in the two toughest setups, the winner being John Rahm. Memorial, and now the BMW at Olympia Fields. And Tiger said that Wingfoot, was softer than Olympia Fields, but that they could have played the U.S. Open that week, that it would have passed Mike Davis, uh, 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 Mike Davis and, and, and John Bodenheimer's um, threshold for being championship ready. That really, to me, bodes well for John Rahm if he keeps up this formula, and especially if he keeps making putts. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of hard not to, to draw that conclusion based on the two events that he's won being the two most difficult in relationship to par, two most difficult in relationship to the rough, uh, the speed, score. I mean, just every, those two events felt like major championship setups and nothing to to slight what happened at uh, the PGA Championship. I mean, that that was relatively benign because of the nature of the greens at uh, at Harding Park. You're you're not going to see that at winged foot in a few weeks. And so it makes sense that Rom would be a favorite, if not the favorite, to win the U.S. Open. Also helped the last year. He was in contention. Now it was a little bit of a backdoor, if you want to call it that. But he played great on Sunday to get himself into position for his first top five finish in a major championship. So 
you got some good vibes from that from last year, although I have a feeling this experience is going to be substantially different than Pebble Beach last year. And he just, when Rom plays golf like this, uh, especially when he's hot with a putter, he can kind of get away with some mistakes off the tee. He can be a little bit more aggressive. He can he can play his style because if he sees the ball going in the hole, then getting there isn't uh, is isn't as thoughtful of a. It doesn't take as many steps in your brain to get there. Uh, there's no fear, and when he plays with no fear, uh, he's probably the best player in the world. Uh, when he feels like something's amiss or he can't do what he wants to do, then he's not quite as good, but he's still you know, a top five player in the world. So I, I don't know what the updated odds are. I haven't looked at him today. But I would guess you're going to see Rom in the 10 to 12 range, maybe 13, 14 range by the time we get to Wingfoot. If he wins, somehow wins the, the tour championship, the handicap tour championship this week, then he's almost certainly going to be the favorite for the U.S. Open. We need to give some love to Mackenzie Hughes. Um, and um, it, it's... <laughs> by the way, while looking up to see if the odds had come through for uh, for the U.S. Open, which they haven't, I have the odds for the Tour Championship this week, um, my alma mater just canceled alumni weekend. <laughs> Shocking that a college would not have... Uh, hundreds of alumni come back on campus um, later this year. Sorry, that that just uh, popped up here as as I was talking about this question. We need to give some love here, Ryan Boundary from Golf News Net here on Teeing It Up, to Mackenzie Hughes because it was not to keep his card, but it was to get him in a whole bunch of events that he would not have otherwise gotten into. And a five-foot slider to clinch your card Knowing what you have in front of you and knowing what's at stake, what a great moment for Mackenzie, his team, his camp, um, and just a cool way to win uh, win the tournament within the tournament, so to speak. Yeah, I, I think that it, it's very easy to be cynical about the FedEx Cup playoffs and the Tour Championship just because of the volume of money it's involved, especially at the, the higher end. For the people that play the best, I mean, $15 million is just a, a mind-boggling amount of money, and it, it can turn off some people, I think. Not everybody, but some people. But for folks kind of fighting to get to the Tour Championship, it, it's a, it can be a career-changing event for a player. Uh, it gets you in three major championships, ostensibly into all four, because you'll have earned enough PGA Championship points to probably get into the PGA Championship. So ostensibly, you're getting into all four majors for the next year. Um, and that's that's a big opportunity. Uh, obviously, if you're getting in the top probably 70, you're getting into the players anyway, but you get in the players. You get into invitationals. You get into a WGC. I mean, you get into the Century Tournament Champions this year because of the realigned criteria because of the pandemic and not having a complete schedule of tournaments. So... That five-footer meant a lot. <laughs> uh, and I'm sure he knew what that going in could mean for his schedule, what it could mean for the opportunities that he now has. And, and frankly, I mean, just being able to get to the Tour Championship, you're going to make at least $395,000 this week. That's, uh, that's a lot of money for finishing dead last in a tournament. You don't get that opportunity uh, but once a year. 
it's literally a seven-figure putt for him, probably. And he, he made it, and that's, uh, that's really cool that to see that reaction. Because, I mean, we've had the opposite reaction, too, from, I mean, I remember Francis Nedeker's, what, four putt yeah. to, uh, in the, this tournament. And you see the opposite reaction. You realize what that could mean not getting in or being denied the opportunity. Uh, we had two guys. We had Joaquin Neiman and we had Mackenzie Hughes play their way in. And that sets up uh, some big opportun- opportunities for them. And that's, that's huge. It, it really does. Um, speaking of opportunities and speaking of finishing dead last, that could be the fate for Rory McElroy this week. You're a father of two. Um, the tour championship to me is, I don't know. I'm, I'm more interested in the U.S. Open. Could you have, assuming Erica has the baby this week, could you have played a major championship three weeks after your first kid was born? Well, I didn't give birth, so I don't know the, uh, <laughs> I don't know that facet of it. But As a new dad, could you have played in a major you know, two weeks, two and a half weeks after your wife gives birth? I mean, yeah, because, I mean, millions of Americans give birth or become parents, and they have basically no access to paid medical leave to be parents, and they're back at work pretty quickly. So, uh, I mean, just raw statistics, yeah, I I could do it. Uh, Having the freedom that Rory McIlroy does to never need another dime, um... You know, maybe he does consider skipping the U.S. Open. Uh, I don't know how it's going to work out this week, of course, with the Tour Championship, whether Erica will go into labor at any point this week. Uh, My first child was born exactly the day he was predicted to come. My second was four days late. So uh, I don't know what their predicted due date is, but I I guess we'll find out. I I mean, for Rory, I, I don't think he really cares that much whether he wins. Uh, the, the tour championship piece of it. It's not like he's had his best season. He'd have a lot of work to do to win. But he does have good results at East Lake. Seems to like the golf course, obviously. And he, he is the defending FedEx Cup champion. So I, I guess there's some pride of ownership in that. But um, I mean, you got to, I mean, I don't know his experience. I mean, he's a thoughtful guy. And I'm sure he's probably thinking about how his life may or may not change. Although he's got no idea. And. But at the same time, when my wife was pregnant with our first child, I, I wasn't, I didn't really think about everything that was coming until we went to the hospital. And maybe he's compartmentalizing it. Maybe not. I don't know. But uh, by the time that we get to the U.S. Open in a few weeks, I, I have a feeling he's probably going to play just because it is that important to him. Being there for the birth is something you'll never forget. But. You know, losing two or three or four days uh, when your child is just a couple of weeks old—that may be something you might be able to uh, to rationalize to go play a major championship. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how this all pans out um, and what we wind up with um, come, you know, come the U.S. Open because if the rains that we have gotten, we've we've been in up here a very humid, it rains, sunny, humid, it rains, sunny, humid, it rains, it's sunnies. And, and I'm not trying to, to tell Rory what to do, 
But I do think that if it, if it keeps getting wet like this, it's going to be a golf course like Congressional that Thick Rough, if he can drive it straight, could be in play. And I think he would love as a father to be able to win a major that fits him early on. But I'm 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 still targeting that November Masters for him more so than uh, than than this U.S. Open. Speaking of of targeting the November Masters, I just want to go off the. Uh, track here for a second, Ryan. The Zozo moving to Shearwood is a great move for the PGA Tour. I know the folks from Zozo wanted, wanted it to stay in Japan. It just can't happen. But to have this West Coast swing, now where you go Summerlin, Shadow Creek for the CJ Cup, and now Shearwood for the Zozo, and then you get two weeks, and then you have Augusta. This is going to be a heck of a prep for a whole bunch of top players who would not normally play in the fall but need reps before getting to Augusta. And as we saw for all those world challenges over the years, 13 of them, Ryan, Sherwood is scorable, but if you get off, you're under a tree, you're in no man's land, you're behind a rock, you're in a bunker that's really deep, Shearwood is not something to laugh at if you are not playing your best. If if you're playing your best, you'll score well. And Shadow Creek was kind of the same way for the match last year. If you got off, it was kind of hard, and the greens were, I think, not the speed that, uh, that the tour and the organizers wanted. Summerlin is super scorable. So to me, you could get the three possible setups that... Augusta could get you minus the weather element, which obviously is something that nobody can see coming unless the Houston Open the week before may have super cool weather. I, I just think that this move is a, is a great win for everybody involved and all these decision makers. I, I don't think that the tour and Zozo got together on picking Sherwood by accident. I mean, that, there's a reason they picked it with Tiger as the defending champion. They wanted to make sure he played and they went to make sure he felt comfortable. And then yeah. obviously with the, the World Challenge in, in previous years being there and he winning it multiple times, you kind of feel pretty good about it. And they also have had the Champions Tour there in recent memory until the QQQ Championship went away. Uh, so it's, it's been on the docket, and I, I'm sure that was probably part of the outreach too to Sherwood that because that tournament went away, they wanted to bring something there that maybe is a little bit of a make good or something like that. Um, so the field should be good for that. I mean, obviously, it's a it's free money. Like you're, you're going to take the free money, especially yes. if it's uh, part of a an organized swing. Because then you can you can be in Las Vegas. I, I think of the three courses you mentioned, you're probably going to feel most compatible with Augusta National at Shadow Creek because it's the top Fazio Jam. Um, Fazio's done a ton of work at Augusta National over the years. You can see his fingerprints all over the course, so you, you kind of get a sense of his vision, um, of his changes there, and probably work within that a little bit better. And, and frankly, the, the weather may not be that different in, in Vegas compared to Georgia at that time of year. You're probably going to be in the 70s or 80s, depending uh, upon the day, and that, and that could swing pretty wildly in both places. So I think if you're in that tournament, if you're in the CJ Cup, that's, that's probably one you're going to play. Um, if you're a top player, do you do you want to give Safeway a shot? Do you want to do the the, the regular Vegas event? Um, do you do, do you try to get a, a start down south in the Sanderson Farms because 
that that's kind of southern fall weather. I don't I don't know. I have a feeling that the the first couple of events are going to be pretty weak fields in the new season, just because there's not going to be a whole lot of incentive for top players to be out there. Um, and also, they're going to be tired. A lot of them will have gone five of seven or three of four or four of five. I mean, this is going to be an exhausting stretch. And I think, you know, nothing personal to the uh, Dominican Republic event, but I don't think it's a coincidence that Tiger, Rory, JT, and Justin Rose are playing in an exhibition in Payne's Valley in Missouri the Tuesday after the U.S. Open. Um, that is the one last round and then uh, see you in, in uh, six weeks. Yeah, and, and I would think that after this week, we're going to see a pretty precipitous drop in the quality of field for the... I mean, maybe maybe a couple of guys will choose to play in the next couple of weeks just as a, a prep tournament for the U.S. Open, but I don't see that coming with the volume of golf that they played. So that gets us through September, then we get into October, and it, now we're starting to think about the Masters, and you've got this two-event Asian West Coast swing so I would think guys could play if they're going to play a couple times play those free money free points why not do it and then that's probably going to be their prep for the Masters and everything else is going to not suffer I mean it's not it's not going to be bad golf but because there's not a wave of Corn Ferry Tour graduates to fill in those fields there's not a wave of Corn Ferry Tour finals graduates or survivors to fill those fields it's probably just going to be guys who just want to keep playing or just want to get a head start on the next season now knowing that they're not protected going into 21-22. They want to rack up those points. So I think you're going to see a lot of uh, guys who don't feel particularly confident or comfortable in their status try to rack up those starts now and take advantage of what's going to be a fall unlike any other. So um, it'll be interesting to see how the top players try to navigate their way around to the U.S. Open in a few weeks, and then obviously October seems pretty well set to be just the setup for the Masters in those pre-money events. I, I think Safeway is going to get a pretty surprisingly good field, even though it's all the way across the country from Wingfoot. You're going to see Phil there. He's, he's already committed there. And then there's a bunch of guys who failed to make the playoffs, led by Ricky Fowler, or who bounced out early, who may want the rep leading up to Wingfoot. So I actually think sure. you could get a decent field in Safeway. Um, let's move on to the Tour Championship here. It's presented by Proud Partners, Southern Company, and Coca-Cola. It'll crown the FedEx Cup champion. Dustin comes in with this two-shot lead over Rom, three over Justin Thomas, four over Webb Simpson, five over Colin Morikawa, and down the line. One thing that's interesting to me about this is that you've got some interesting guys way, way, way down on the leaderboard who have nothing to lose. Scotty Scheffler, Joaquin Neiman, Tony Finau, Victor Hovland, Cam Champ, Billy Horschel. These are guys that have proven they can go low. For a bunch of them, it is not their fault that they're this far down the leaderboard. They are trending in the right direction. So to me, Ryan... Yes, DJ has a distinct advantage here. And I would probably put Morikawa as the most likely guy to catch him besides Rom. But I think a bunch of these guys at two under down the even can have a go for broke thing where they may finish 14 over par, 
maybe not the 30 over par uh, Mark Leishman finished last week. But I think a bunch of these guys way, way down could be 9-10 under par or 9-10 over par by week's end. They've got nothing to lose. Yeah, I think Dustin Johnson is playing a 10-person tournament, right? He's probably only concerned with the people who are at four under par or better. And not to say that he shouldn't be concerned about the three unders, but you're basically concerned with one-third of the field, at least at the start. So for everybody that's at one under or even, you know, those ten players, I think you kind of have to make the conscious choice that you're just trying to get as far up the leaderboard as you, you possibly can because every place is worth so much money. I mean, it's just worth a lot of money. And if you can somehow fashion your way into the top five, you're going to get an incredible payday like you won the tor- won a tournament. So that's what you've got to try to do. You've got to try to beat basically the other 20 guys, the guys that aren't four under or better. And, and even then you could target the four unders because that's only four shots. It's not that big of a deal. You only got to beat the four unders by a stroke plus some per round. That's not that hard to do on a course like Eastlake. So if I'm in the bottom 10, I'm thinking, if I shoot four 67s, I might win the tournament as a 72-hole event, and that might get me into the top five and make me a lot of money. So that's what you're trying to do, I think. And Will you do that? I don't know. I mean, he's like still a really hard golf course the way they set it up for the Tour Championship. Not, I don't think it's going to be the BMW Championship set no. up hard, but it's still pretty difficult. Rough's pretty punishing. It's relatively long in places. Uh, there's places to score, of course. There's also room for a lot of high numbers. Uh, I, don't, I don't really feel like there are a lot of room for high numbers. You just created them at Olympia Fields with the rough and the, and the narrow setup. So, But for the guys that are, are down that bottom ten, like you said, they have nothing to lose. They, they get all the benefits, all the starts, all the stuff that comes out of it. They didn't win a tournament this year. If they did... Uh, okay, then they can still just get more money. It's basically just free a free shot at a lot of money for them. And um, I don't think a really low number is out there at East Lake. It not is not typically you know, the lowest number you're probably going to see is 64 all week. But the, the trick is being able to shoot four good ones there if you want to move up that dramatically at the leaderboard. That that is a, a tough golf course in which to do that. And just a reminder um, that. It is on a different grass, Bermuda, than than they've played the last two weeks. Now, look, I don't know these people's personal family financial situations, but because of the odd year and because of how much the fall has weighed, you've got some guys that are further down that leaderboard who potentially, depending on their situation, could use the money, whether it's a Sebastian Munoz, Lanto Griffin, Scheffler starting out, his career, Abraham Anser, who has so many relatives just over the border in Mexico, um, Cam Smith, Mackenzie Hughes, everybody knows Cam Champ's story, and I'm sure he would love to be able to use this to springboard his foundation to bigger and better things. There's some guys down there that, yes, this is hidden giggle money for you know the JTs and the DJs of the world, but this is some serious life-altering money potentially for some guys down this leaderboard. And I think that's part of the appeal of this tour championship is while the money during a pandemic is awkward, it's also potentially invigorating at the same time as to what we look at 10, 15 years down the line, these guys did with their money. 
depends on who wins, right? I mean, it's all yeah. perspective. If the top five players in the world effectively turn out to be one through five on the leaderboard in, in the tour championship and, and therefore the FedEx Cup play, uh, payout, then people who are cynical about the money or think it's uh, not the best way to represent golf right now, they go, ha ha, I told you so, look at the money grab. All the best guys got paid and everybody else got some money and that's great. Um, but if it turns out that someone rises up from that one under an even spot to challenge for the title, then I think you've got something kind of interesting there, especially if they're a younger guy uh, who's just trying to kind of make their way as a professional. All, all these guys are fine financially, I'm pretty sure, but, you know, if it, if it can mean something to them, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's kind of hard for me as a regular person to fathom $15 million in my pocket and how I would, what I would do with that. Yeah, uh, and I think that's probably true for a lot of people who watch sports. But there maybe there are some people in the audience watching golf and go, "I have fifteen million dollars. I know what I do with fifteen million dollars." Um, but I, I don't think I don't think the appeal of the tour championship really should be the fifteen million dollars. And I know that the tours tried to get away from emphasizing the money piece of this. Not that, they, but these guys are going to think about it. I mean, that's just the reality. If you if you tell me I, I'm playing a round of golf for fifteen million dollars, I'm going to think about it a whole lot more than I'm, if I'm playing a five dollar Nassau. That's just how it's going to work. So, it's, in one facet, I'm sure these guys are going to try to diminish that. They're just going to try to do the best they can given the handicap that they have and try to get as far up the leaderboard in the end, and then worry about the money. But if one of them gets close, if a one under or even or two under even gets close. And they've got a chance to go from expecting hardly anything for the week to a ridiculous amount of money. Uh, I think that's going to be something you're going to watch play out in real time on Sunday when it dawns on them that maybe they could do something that would change their life. And, hey, for some of these guys, you said last gets $375,000. Even after taxes and the stuff's put in, in into their retirement fund, that's still a nice payday. It is. I mean, a lot of the money uh, is, uh, you know, just setting the bar for your retirement. Which, hey, there's nothing wrong with that either. Because while a lot of these younger guys, they're people that we've touted to be superstars in the making, guys that could win majors someday, or already have in Morikawa's case, and could have long, fruitful careers, there are plenty of other examples of guys that we've talked about who were in that boat and didn't pan out or aren't out there now or on the KFT or whatever. And the reality is that once you turn off the spigot of the PGA Tour's available money, life gets a lot tighter. And uh, that's that's when you see pro golfers put their houses on the market. And that's when you see them move. And that's when you see things change in their life. So if they've got if these young guys have smart people advising them and looking after their best interests, uh, then that, that's something that they're aware of. And they know that if you do something special this week, you will have your life changed and you will have security not only for yourself, but your family, your children, if, if you have them or not. I mean, that's a big deal. And I, I, I realize I think Shane Bacon asked uh, this in a tweet about which would you rather win, Masters, U.S. Open, et cetera, et cetera, FedEx Cup. And I know a lot of people would pick the Masters and U.S. Open because of what you would get 
in history, but from a financial perspective, $15 million is greater than $2.2 million. So uh, just from a sheer numbers standpoint, that, that could be more important to a lot of guys. And just think about this. Fifth place, $2.5 million. If Colin Morikawa doesn't have a good week and you can work your way up, you know, five shots... Runner-up gets five million, third four million, four three million, fifth two and a half, and on down the line. That's a nice little payday. Um, if you, basically, if you finish in fifth or better, you get the paycheck of winning the bat, any major. Yeah, which is just wild. But in a thirty-person field. Yeah, it's you only got to beat twenty-five other guys to earn that. That I mean, I realize you got a handicap system. But there are only five guys. You really only have to beat the fifth place guy to get <laughs> that kind of money. That's what five strokes. You can do that in seventy-two holes. Does anyone in the top five? So DJ Rom, JT Webb, Morikawa need this for the U.S. Open. Needing no. a, a a good play this week. I, I think you can. I think the proper mindset probably is to try to separate this tournament from every other one that you've played and every other one that you're going to play because you don't play handicap tournaments on the PGA Tour except one week a year. So if Dustin Johnson wins by a shot but didn't have the best performance that week, do you take a positive from that? Or you just go, hey, this won $15 million bucks. I had a technical issue here with, with Ryan Boundy, but I think your basic point, Ryan, was... For the top five guys in the leaderboard, and it's a good point you made about Dustin. You contend, you sorry, you contend for the victory, but you don't play very well. You've got a bunch to work on next week. Versus if you know, you know, Kyle Morikawa makes a run at you and just comes up short. I think that's more of a momentum grabber for him heading into Wingfoot than it is DJ having to go to the range. So I think your idea of Looking at this as an outlier event um, is a is a really smart way of looking at it, and, and a really good point um, for this. Is there anything you wanted to add to that? Now that we have worked out the technical kink, no. I, I just think it, it's probably going to be a weird feeling if you survive and win, being in one of those uh, maybe top two, three positions, instead of actually winning the tournament because that worked out pretty well last year. We had a competitive event with the best players kind of jockeying for position and you didn't have some, you didn't have all the top players basically tank and let everyone else into the tournament. But if that happens, and eventually that's going to happen in this format, but if that happens, then you get a huge payday and you feel like you didn't really earn it. Is that good? I mean, yeah, financially, but is it good for your psyche to go into a unique two major fall I don't know because we've never had this happen before and hopefully God willing never will um, because this is not how any golf organization wants to run their events they would like them in their proper spots not their one year spots so with all this being said who wins the 2019 2020 FedEx Cup I get. I'm going to say Justin Thomas. Um, he's got no pressure on him. Played like crap last couple of weeks. I, I mean, going back to the PGA Championship, he's been marginal. 
Yeah. Uh, he seems to kind of find a way to light a fire under himself, and he seems to like this golf course. Dustin Johnson likes this golf course, but never wins on it. John Rahm, we don't really know enough about him yet on this golf course, but it seems like it would suit him well. But JT's won here, and I would think between him and Webb taking the week off, they probably have the most to gain. They didn't really lose much by playing lousy in the playoffs in JT's case, and Webb lost one spot in the leaderboard. They lost one stroke by not playing last week. It was, I think, a gamble that was worth it. So I would look at those two guys as, as my decks. And also, JT has Bones on the bag, and Bones has caddied a whole lot around that place. Um, so there's that. Uh, my pick's John Rahm in terms of who wins the FedEx Cup. I, I am with you that Justin Thomas wins the week. I don't know how that will play out on, on, the, on the leaderboard. So I'm going to give you a cop-out answer. <laughs> you know, it's out there. We're still doing 72 holes. And I don't know if... I, I don't know if guys think about the world ranking points, by the way. That is true. Winning the actual 72-hole tournament. That is true. I forgot about that. that. It's a great reminder. Yeah, it does give you world ranking points. And for somebody like a Sebastian Munoz, that's also a game changer. You've got some guys in this field that are pretty far down in the world rankings. This can help your cause a lot. Or or someone like Scotty Scheffler, who has built a nice resume but is – Ready to take that next step. This could really help you in the world rankings. And more bad news for Tiger trying to make the Olympic team next year. Exactly. So there's, <laughs> yes. uh, there's, a lot, there's a lot that goes on in this tournament that, depending on where you are, when you are, and what you're doing, there, there's something for everybody to kind of be gunning for. It just It's weird that it's not the same thing all the time. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. I still think they should give out a trophy for whoever wins the 72-hole event, especially if you're going to give real ranking points for it. You would not want Tiger to win the week and not get win 83. I think that would be an embarrassment, and they've gotten kind of lucky that he has uh, not made it to East Lake these last two seasons. Um, or made it last year and wasn't a... F- no, uh, did not make it. Sorry, I'm, oh, I'm thinking 2018 when he got the win and there was nothing in the Ryder Cup. Ryan Ballinger, Golf News Net. Thank you, as always, for coming on Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schelling. Thanks, Jeremy. And thank you all for listening to this edition of Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schelling.